The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to Stacking in the Box. I am Sterling Holmes, joined by Mike Luciano, as Ian McMillan is out this week. I'm assuming it's because Desmond Ritter had such a poor performance. I'm sure Ian did not want to show himself in this stream today. So Mike is here with me. Mike, how are you? Well, as a guy who had Desmond Ritter as QB1 in 2022, you're lucky I'm showing my face on this stream. I mean, that's <laughs> not good for the brand, I got to say. Well, we got a lot to get into. We're going to talk about the any given Sunday, which team is real, which team is a pretender. We're going to go through our top five list. A lot of stuff to get to. But before we get to all of that, we have a deal for you guys. All y'all football fans out there, DraftKings is running a new promotion that you do not want to miss. New users can place a $5 first bet to instantly claim $200 in bonus bets. You will also be rewarded with a separate no-sweat single-game parlay every single day when you opt in. All you have to do is sign up with our code STB. Using our code STB not only gets you these great bonuses, but it also directly supports our podcast. If you've been considering signing up for DraftKings, make sure to use the code STB to maximize your first bets and parlays. This offer is only available to new customers who are 21 plus and physically present in legal gambling states. Please remember to always gamble responsibly. Check the episode description for the full terms of the offer to see if you qualify. All right, Mike. We did this with Ian. We're going to do it with you. Winners and losers from week four. Let's start with the winners. Who was your big week four winner? Well, it's got to be Anthony Richardson. Even in a losing effort against the Los Angeles Rams, to come back down from 23-0 as a rookie in essentially your second full game because he got hurt early on in the win against the Texans. So full game number two against the Super Bowl champion, Sean McVay. And Richardson, I still don't think, has a great team around him. Now, having Shane Steichen helps a lot. He certainly has become the, the running quarterbacks guy, but... I can't help but look at Anthony Richardson and say, like, all right, I don't think, know if he's going to be this good, but Cam Newton was such an outlier physically and talent-wise. I mean, we may have 2.0 here. Well, like I'd said on the Stack in the Box Monday uh, recap show in the Monday Night Football preview that I did yesterday, like, earlier I'd said maybe he's, like, top five in terms of just arm strength, like how hard you could throw a ball and how far. He might be one or two after that game. I mean, some of those throws that he was uh, – the one to Alec Pierce – he was getting hit. He almost threw it like a skyhook. It was over his helmet, 40 yards on the line right to Alec Pierce. I'm like, you can't coach that. That is yeah. just pure talent. And I don't know what the future holds for Indianapolis this particular year. I know they get Jonathan Taylor allegedly back soon. I don't know what is totally going on with him contract-wise, if he's going to stick around. But hard to look at that game and think anything except, man, Indy got a franchise quarterback. 
Yeah, the athleticism and talent is undeniable. He was not great at Florida, but you saw the undermakings of a great franchise quarterback. If only he could reach that potential. What we have seen so far from Anthony Richardson is very, very fun to see. Uh, my winner this week is the Houston Texans. Houston Texans, I say going into this year, they might not be good, but they're building this thing the right way. And you've already seen some early returns as they move to two and two. C.J. Stroud looks like an NFL-ready quarterback right now. I always say I don't like Ohio State quarterbacks, but if you always say Ohio State quarterbacks are busts, you're going to miss out on the next great one from there. C.J. Stroud looks like the next great one from there because C.J. Stroud is that guy. I said going into this draft, he was my number one quarterback on the board. Okay, a big fan of C.J. Stroud. And what we have seen is the Texans building this the right way, giving him some solid pieces defensively so he doesn't have to put up 40 points a game, and also focusing in on giving him a couple weapons. They drafted Tank Dell. While week four was a bad game for Tank, he's he's had a nice connection so far with C.J. They also revamped this offensive line, giving a large contract to Laramie Tunsil. They brought in Dalton Schultz, the tight end, who, in my opinion, was the best free agent tight end out there. Rookie quarterbacks love their tight ends. I think they're building this the right way in Houston. And again, two and two, they may not be good, not saying they're making the playoffs, but I think Houston is my biggest winner for week four. Remember when he almost fell in the draft because he took essentially the equivalent of a BuzzFeed quiz and did poorly on it, and they're like, oh, my God, C.J. Stroud's actually stupid, and we're going to draft him. He's QB4 now. I'm like, we get so silly with these quarterbacks, man. Like, I remember when Justin Fields came out and they said he played baseball, so his arm looks weird, so don't draft him. Like, it gets – they get really strange with these quarterbacks. Yeah, those questions are like, I had eight apples. I ate two. How many did I have? And if you missed that question, apparently you're not an NFL quarterback. Don't understand that. Sorry, I'm not good at calculus either. Uh, all right, but who is your loser of this week, Mike? I don't want to pile on because, I mean, I've piled on on a lot of guys lately. But, I mean, Daniel Jones, you got to look yourself in the mirror and go, what on earth was that? And I know that... But before I hear all the offensive line, like, all right, number one, I get it. That is not a good offensive line. Here's my rule I'm developing. Tell me if you think. I think an offensive line, I'm going to say five sacks a game at the most could be on an offensive line, five or six. Anything past that, I'm like, all right, something's on the quarterback here. If you get sacked 11 times, I can't I can't believe that you're not culpable for that a little Mike, bit. Mike, Mike, Mike. He may have been culpable for three. That 11? offensive line was atrocious. <laughs> atrocious. You know Joe also Burrow. atrocious though? No, Joe Burrow. We think Joe Burrow's offensive line with the Bengals is, is bad, right? Yeah. Joe Burrow has eight sacks all year long, and Joe Burrow is a statue with a bad calf. Daniel Jones can actually move. This is the offensive line. Daniel Jones was under duress the entire game. He broke out of a couple sacks. It could have been worse. You know what else was bad, though? That pick six to Devin Witherspoon when he was not pressured. Daniel Jones, outside of that one half where he lost his mind against the Cardinals and prevented them from being 0-4, I don't believe he's scored a touchdown in that. And he has six interceptions. He's lost a couple fumbles. And every game, it's been non-competitive. And this is a $40 million quarterback. I really thought I was losing my mind. Like, we've seen quarterbacks sign extension, Kyler Murray, Derek Carr, and maybe there's some buyer's remorse here for some of these long-term quarterback deals for guys who aren't superstars. But outside of the Giants organization, did anybody look at that deal and think, man, the Giants really got a steal here? (laughs) 
I no. mean, th- it's so bad. Like, if he keeps playing like this, I don't care if he's a $40 million quarterback. He can't keep playing like this and just start all 17 games. I know that, that sounds drastic, but, I mean, he has two touchdowns and six interceptions. I believe in his career now he has more turnovers than touchdown passes, if you count the fumbles. And he's uh, a $40 Joe, million dollar quarterback. Joe Namath did, too. That worked out pretty well for him, but I get it. It was a different era. My loser this week is going to be the Panthers. Panthers moved to 0-4. They are, what, the one of two undefe- or winless teams in the NFL with the Chicago Bears. Uh, the Bears were actually my loser of the week last week, so I didn't want to double down on them. So the Panthers get it this week. And by the way, Bryce Young has not looked good. Now, I'm not saying give up on a quarterback after four games. If you did that, then Peyton Manning would never have been a Hall of Fame quarterback, right? I get it. It's going to take time. But Bryce Young clearly has not looked like C.J. Stroud or Anthony Richardson, and that's not good. That's not good for the Panthers. If they had one, they give up all of that draft capital to Chicago, and if they ended up getting the third best, they didn't even get a franchise quarterback out of that. This is going to set back the Panthers a long way. Again, I'm not saying give up on the Panthers or, or, or Bryce Young just yet. What I am saying is I, there is some room for some concern because Adam Thielen is putting up some pretty big numbers. The entire Panthers team was supposed to be pretty decent this year. You know, the NFC South was really bad. And everyone thought, well, maybe if Bryce Young is just average, they might have a chance of winning that division. Well, he's not been average. They have no chance of winning that division. It has looked bad for the Panthers. It's looked bad, but I'm looking at some of the the all 22 in the passing charts. I believe half of Bryce Young's completions were behind the line of scrimmage mm-hmm. against Minnesota. And that to me says more than anything else that they're baby in this kid. Yeah. And I don't know if that's Frank Reich doesn't trust him. Because I remember hearing some rumors that Frank Reich had to be sold on Bryce Young before the draft and that he was looking at, Stroud is his guy because Frank Reich's always been a big quarterback guy. Bryce Young, as we are well aware of, is not. But I feel like they just got to let it rip with this kid. I mean, there's if they it's house money. They don't have a pick because the Bears have it. So if he if he throws a pick, he throws a pick. Let him at least try to be Bryce Young. Don't have him throwing bubble screens. You could get a guy in the sixth round if all you're going to do is make him throw bubble screens. Let him be uh, Bryce Young. And we all know the Minnesota Vikings defense is absolutely elite. Uh, that was some sarcasm. As far as the injury updates this week, Tredavious White looks like he has torn his Achilles. You obviously feel horrendous for Trey White as he was coming back off of a major injury just a season ago, getting his legs underneath him. <clears throat> and then less than a week after David Bakhtiari was placed on the IR and underwent surgery, the fourth on his left uh, on his left knee in less than three years. Uh, Matt LaFleur would not say whether he would play for the Packers again this season or ever not looking good for him. Justin Herbert brushes off his injury to his finger as just a flesh wound. Didn't know that he was a big Monty Python guy, but that made me like Justin Herbert just a little bit more. Bengals wide receiver T. Higgins might try and play with that broken rib. We will see. Uh, Kenny Pickett from the Steelers apparently avoided a major injury from the sack that forced him to leave Sunday's loss early. And then, as we mentioned, Jonathan Taylor able to return. We'll see what happens, though, what the Colts and Taylor decide to do. All right. Mike, let's get into the top story. Let's who's real and who's fake? All right. I want to start with last night's game first. Seahawks moved to three and one. Their defense looked electric. Geno Smith did just enough, went out for an injury, and Drew Locke stepped in and said, hey, come on, baby. This is why I was a second-round quarterback pick in the NFL, okay? 
I'm Drew Locke. I'm going to get a score touchdown on my one opportunity. What did you make of the Seahawks? Are they real or are they pretenders? I mean, it seems in the NFC that the the top three are pretty easily San Francisco, Philly, Dallas. And I think San Francisco may even be separating at a point, but I feel like those are clearly the top three. Beyond that, it's anybody's guess who could be number four. I, I need a reason why Seattle can't be number four. Because every every area, there's re- I really don't see a weakness. I mean, the offensive line's not amazing, but it's certainly workable. I think they have some nice individual players there. Geno is showing last year is not a fluke at all. And as the president of the Geno Smith fan club, going back to when he was with the Jets, because I thought he was getting screwed over by Rex Ryan and no receivers around him, finally have been vindicated after all these years. Geno Smith is showing that he's real. And I think that they really have one of the star rising coordinators in the league in Shane Waldron. I, I would be stunned if he's not a head coach at some point next year. I mean, he is just cooking things up. It's a McVay disciple, but he's put enough of his own unique spin on things. And uh, the defense, I think, has some room for improvement. Obviously, getting Jamal Adams back and then losing him immediately was tough for them. But I, some question the Devin Witherspoon pick that early. I mean, I don't hear anybody question it anymore. I mean, I said this during the game. He plays like he chews on thumbtacks. Like he's just this angry guy and he hits hard and he plays crazy. I mean, and that's, he's not going to be this good. I don't think, but it seems very like he's a Legion of boom defensive back because they all had that mindset. I mean, that was a Pete Carroll player through and through, and he's played a big part in the Seahawks. I think becoming a real contender right now. Yeah, they've hit again on him so far. And then obviously Tyreek Woolen last year being a fifth-round cornerback. They're looking good defensively. They have some young pieces there. And by the way, Bobby Wagner still doing Bobby Wagner things. He was outstanding last night. Uh, and I do agree with you offensively. The offensive line might be their weakest aspect of that of that offense. But they've done some interesting things. They, they ran a lot of 12 personnel, 13 personnel. But it's not as one might imagine. They had at one point two tight ends lined to the right of Geno Smith. It was very unique, trying anything to allow Geno to have more time back there, to allow Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, uh, Jackson Smith, and Jigba to get open. Uh, And oh, yeah. They have a nice running back tandem of Kenneth Walker and uh, Zach Charbonnet. I'm a huge fan of the Seahawks right now, what they have done. I don't know if they're, again, real as in they're a Super Bowl contender, but they're a playoff contender. I think they make the playoffs, and I think you're right. I think they are the fourth best team in the NFC. All right, Lions. They wanted to be the fourth best team in the NFC. All offseason long has been Lions, Lions, Lions. Well, they moved to 3-1, and one, and they've had some big, big wins, obviously beating the Chiefs opening uh, opening night um, You know, on that Thursday night football game in Arrowhead. That was huge. The Lions for real. Well, I think they're going to be aided by the fact they still have to play the Bears twice and the Vikings twice. And then they already proved that they, I think, are a lot better than Green Bay, who's really the only other team that has any shot, I think, this year in the NFC North. So they're going to benefit from the weak division. But much like Seattle, I mean, Jared Goff took a lot of crap those la- the last year in L.A. and even the first year in Detroit. And they stuck with him. They said Jared Goff's our guy, and he's rewarded them. He's playing some of the best football of his career. I still think they need – now, obviously, I think Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery are one of the best running back tandems in the league. I know fantasy people want Gibbs to play more, but you know what? Montgomery's working, so sometimes it doesn't work with real life. Gibbs will get his eventually. Yeah. I think they need one more big playmaker at wide receiver opposite Amon Ra St. Brown. I don't think that Amon Ra alone 
can carry this offense. I mean, they're getting Jamison Williams back, but we really don't know. I mean, he has, what, one catch in his whole career, and he's really skinny, and he's been hurt a lot. I mean, there's questions about Jamison Williams going forward. So if they can get that, and if they could show that the secondary hold up, because the front seven's very good. Aiden Hutchinson is playing like a guy who should have been the number one pick. I mean, I kind of defended the Trayvon Walker pick at the time. I can't defend it anymore. I mean, Hutchinson looks miles better than Walker right now. The secondary is better than it was last year. Obviously, no Chauncey Gardner-Johnson is a humongous loss for them, but they've they've held it together for the most part, 3-1. and And again, the one loss was to the Seattle team that we all love, where they still put up like 120 points. The offense was still cooking, so a lot to like about the Lions right now, and big thing, too, the offensive line one of the better offensive lines in the league. And for a guy like Goff, who for all his many talents as a thrower, he's not going to make plays with his legs. That's huge. Yeah, I, I would say the Lions are for real. The offensive line is top five in the NFL. They're good in the trenches. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson, as you mentioned, should have been 1-1. I, did, I never understood the Walker pick, although I will say in Walker's defense for Jacksonville, he's been pretty good. He just hasn't put up the uh, eye-popping numbers. Yeah. He, he's been just fine, right? You're the and number he, one overall pick. You need to get some sacks here, buddy. You, you, you don't draft 1-1 for fine. You draft 1-1 for Aiden Hutchinson. He's been outstanding, but you're right. That secondary, if there is an issue for the Lions, it is there. I still do think the Lions are for real as they sit at 3-1. The Jags at 2-2. They've been up. They've been down. Coming off a pretty nice win. You know, they held the Falcons to 7 points, 23-7 out there in London. Um, The Jaguars, they for real. They might be ruined by nepotism this year, and it is not Trevor Lawrence's fault. I think Trevor Lawrence, he's, I don't think he's playing like as well as he was last year. I still think he's playing phenomenally, generally. I think he's a top-10 quarterback still. And I remember during that Chiefs game, I mean, he had to have about three plays where there were touchdowns and the guy couldn't get the second foot down, and they were dimes. So if they get that second foot down and maybe they end up winning that game, then everything's totally different. But the biggest change that the Jaguars have made, outside of Ridley, who's been very good, Doug Peterson is not calling the plays anymore. It is Press Taylor, the offensive coordinator. Why does that name sound familiar? Because the only other time in his career Press Taylor called plays, it was the 2020 Carson Wentz Eagles, where he was through like, what, 15 picks and got benched? That was the only time. And the year before that, he had like 21 touchdowns, seven picks. And then he goes 16 touchdowns, 15 picks. That was Press Taylor's one-year calling plays. So he's Zach Taylor's brother, so I don't know if that's a reason that he's still in the league. But for whatever reason, Doug Peterson has a blind spot for this guy and thinks he'll be great. I don't know why, because I think the offense has been very predictable this year, just what they're trying to do schematically. And Doug just has a knack for calling the right play at the right time. Press Taylor doesn't. But if they can figure it out, maybe if Doug takes plays back at some point, I think they'll be fine. But as it stands right now, in an AFC South, that is a lot tougher than I think they thought it would be early on. Like Jacksonville will still be fine. I think they'll probably end up winning nine or ten games this year, but I think it's hard to really see them, even if they get to the playoffs, really doing anything unless Trevor Lawrence just has like that insane second half like he had against the Chargers, and then what do you know? They end up winning a game, but uh, a lot more questions about Jacksonville than I thought I would have. Yeah, I, I think I'm in the same boat as you. I think for me, they're leaning more pretender than real. Again, if you're just asking me right now, what is their path? There are so many good teams in the AFC as a whole. You're right. The offense looks more predictable, even though they have more talent than they've probably ever had on that offense in general with Calvin Ridley being inserted in, Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram. Uh, 
Trevor Lawrence, you're right, playing very well. I know PFF has been loving up on Trevor Lawrence, but man, it's just not looking great for the uh, for the Jags right now. Ravens at three and one. I'll go first in this one. Yes, they're real. Man, the Ravens are for real. Now, I don't know if they're a top five team in the NFL as a whole, but they're a top five team in the AFC. Okay, the Ravens look really good. Uh, Lamar Jackson is playing some damn good football right now. They actually have some weapons, even without Odell Beckham Jr. Zay Flowers uh, early on this year had a nice connection with Lamar. Obviously, Mark Andrews is still doing Mark Andrews things. And Lamar's running the ball, but running very effectively and smartly, right? He's not taking as many unnecessary hits, at least from what I have seen. Uh, Their defense looks to be playing some damn good football right now. Yeah, the Ravens, to me, are for real. I find it bizarre how certain players get love and certain players get hate. Every time I watch Lamar Jackson, I think this is the coolest dude I've ever seen play football. He's Michael Vick. If Michael Vick had the accuracy that he needed to really take himself to the next level, he's an amazing runner. He's clutch. He wins all the time. He's like 48 and 17 as a starter. And people were giving him crap all the time because he had an offensive coordinator putting a 300 pound fullback in the slot and running rounds with him and Pat Ricard. And now he's got Todd Munkin. And then Todd Munkin, I thought stylistically, could have been a little weird because he's so vertical and Lamar's not really like a throw it 40 times a game deep down the field guy, but he's got him cooking. He's letting Lamar do enough of the Lamar stuff that he likes, the running. And then he just having him get the ball out quick. He's completing like 74% of his passes. This is the best throwing Lamar Jackson we've seen. Even the MVP year, I mean, it it was just like an alien crash landed and nobody knew how to deal with this guy. So everybody had to kind of learn on the fly. Now they have film on him. He's still tearing it up. And even outside of Lamar, even though they've had a a billion injuries, that defense fully healthy is scary. Kyle Hamilton is becoming the Kyle Hamilton we all thought he would be out of Notre Dame. He had like three sacks one game. Very unique chess piece. Roquan Smith might be the best linebacker in football. The pass rush is okay. It's getting there. But I think if they add one more big pass rush kind of separator, not Jadavian Clowney, somebody more than him now, I don't see why this team maybe can't be the number two team in the AFC. Because I think Kansas City will eventually get everything figured out. But outside of that, Miami, Buffalo, and Baltimore, I think, are fighting for the number two spot. Baltimore's got as legit a claim as, as anybody for that spot. Yeah, again, for the same reasons uh, Jacksonville has struggled with their new OC, same reasons why Baltimore is starting to rise up. Who would have thought a offensive coordinator could do that much? All right, next one. Titans at 2-2, two and 27-3 two, win over the Bengals. Bengals have not looked good, but that was a thumping by the Titans. The Titans have perpetually done better than expectations. That's a staple of Mike Vrabel. They're always competitive outside of one game this year because this year they got blown out in a game and we're sitting here going, they never get blown out. The Titans are always competitive. They always play close games. But the Titans sit here at two and two. Are they for real or are they a pretender? I've watched the Titans and two separate games, like up close, all 22 stuff. The first game I thought, I'm like, oh, this could be a Caleb Williams team. And then I'm like, oh, they could win the AFC South. Like <laughs> I've learned almost nothing of value from the Titans week to week. You never know what you're Mike, you know get. why? You know why, Mike? Strap in. It's the Ryan Tana thrill. It's the worst carnival ride. You have no idea if you're getting the highs or if you're getting the lows. <laughs> That's the weird thing, though, because I remember last year they went uh, 7 and 10. I think they were 6 and 5 when Ryan Tannehill's in. So as long, even though he's not an amazing quarterback right now, like when he's in there, they end up winning games. Derrick Henry's not what he was, but he still is a very effective running back who can be 
a real like game changer. I mean, that run he had against the Bengals was just vintage Derrick Henry shoving people down. Like, even if he's not two thousand yards, Derrick Henry, you still got to worry about him. The defense is incredibly helter skelter, which has happened. They got a lot of young guys, but I like how they are up front. I like Jeffrey Simmons. I think really coming into his own. I think the secondary with guys like Roger McCreary and stuff is is better than it was in past seasons. It's just I really don't know what to think about them because week to week it's so you, you, they win the games they're supposed to lose and they lose the games they're supposed to win. That's it's very strange with this Titans team. But out of respect for Mike Vrabel, well, I think at this point is probably excluding guys like you know Belichick and Tomlin who just until they retire are like top five emeritus. Like in terms of just the coaching job they've done. In the last couple of years, I mean, you could put what Vrabel's done there up against anybody. Yeah. He's a phenomenal coach. Yeah, I, I think they're pretender to me just because I can't get behind Ryan Tannehill, although DeAndre Hopkins has made some nice catches. Obviously, I like Traylon Burks, uh, their tight end, whose last name I always butcher. And oh, by the way, the backup to Derrick Henry Spears is very, very efficient and electric out there, making some big plays. I just I don't see them winning any big games. Now, I understand they're going to play some tough games. It's, it's going to be a rock fight every time you play the Titans. I just don't see them consistently winning, going deep in the playoffs. I don't know if they have what it takes to even win the AFC South. But again, I do have to tip my hat to Mike Vrabel. Not a great roster, but they're finding ways to consistently win. The Bucs, though, are 3-1. and one. Baker Mayfield's look good. Mike Evans, oh yeah, it's still Mike Evans. Um, you know, the offensive line that was such a disaster, well, it got healthier. They look at least a little better. You know, Rashad White might not be the most efficient running back in the NFL, but they're finding ways to get it done. What do you make of this Bucks team as they sit here at 3-1? and one? I'm looking at Baker Mayfield's career, too, and I remember 2020 was, I think, the only time he really had an NFL offensive coordinator and probably an, an average to above average everything else around him, offensive line, skill position players, everything like that. And he threw 26 touchdowns and eight picks and won a playoff game with the Browns. That's what Baker Mayfield did the last time I think he had a legit team. Right In 2021, he had it, but he got hurt and was playing hurt. So I almost want to kind of rule that out. Now he's got an offensive line that, again, not amazing, but they're certainly a lot better than they were last year. Evans and Godwin are still Evans and Godwin. Dave Canales, who actually is a Shane Waldron disciple. He was the quarterback coach for Seattle last year. And Geno Smith said played a huge role in his resurgence and revitalization now he's doing it again with baker mayfield and part of me in the back of my mind is like all right the regression is going to come and that philly game it looked like the regression was coming because the eagles just being much better beat up on him and i don't think they're as good as the eagles by any stretch of the imagination but i'm looking at that division carolina's awful new orleans has Derek carr but they just can't score i mean Carr's playing hurt too so you know that's a tough situation too but the offense even when he was healthy didn't look amazing and then Atlanta has a really great team, but Desmond Ritter's really holding them back. So, I mean, I, how do you say they're not the favorites to win the NFC South and get a home playoff game right now? Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat as you. I thought Saints for sure, but Derek Carr not been good, especially, again, as you mentioned, the injury. He threw it, what, 37 times for 122 yards, something like that. That seems almost impossible. Alvin, Alvin Kamara Co- had 13 catches for 33 yards. I've never seen that anywhere before. Thank you, Fantasy Football PPR League. Thank you so much. Uh, Commanders <laughs> two and two. You know, they're playing well. Could have easily moved to three and one. They they, they had a chance. They came back slinging Sam Howell. 
And then the Eagles ended up coming away in overtime, winning 34-31. But the Commanders have shown a lot offensively. They've grown. Uh, how much of that is Sam Howell? How much, how much of that is Eric Bieniemy? Uh, again, we've talked a lot about offensive coordinators right now. Got to tip your cap to Bieniemy going to Washington as that offense has started to explode. Washington, are, are, are they for real? Are, are there going to be three NFC East teams in the playoffs? The tough thing with Washington is I really don't know how they view Howell yet. Are they viewing him as a young rookie quarterback they think could be a franchise guy and then you got to kind of grade him on that sort of curve? Or is it he's kind of a stopgap guy and then maybe later we can get, I don't know, even not even a guy in the draft, maybe a big veteran becomes available. Maybe they get Kyler Murray. Like I, I really don't know how they view Howell. And as such, it's affecting my perception of them because if they view Sam Howell as just a young guy figuring it out, I'm like, there's been a lot to be encouraged about. I know Denver is a terrible defense, but, you know, first big road start, 300 yards, goes and wins that game with 35 points. Very impressive. And then hangs with the Eagles and had a shot to beat him before Ron Rivera said his defense was tired. That's why he didn't go for two, which that's what a tired defense needs, more football. Doesn't make any sense. So he He's had, made he had some boneheaded decisions recently, not knowing when they were in or out of the playoffs. Um, we don't know what Sam Howell was last year. Like he, he said some pretty questionable decisions for a good old riverboat Ron. Right. So like if they view him as a young guy trying to navigate this mess, I'm like, I gotta be encouraged. I know the bills game was horrendous, but I mean, young guy, these things happen. Like bills are much better. What are you going to do? Like everything messed up, not just him in that game. But if they view him as just kind of like a stopgap guy and they really don't think he's the franchise guy, I'm like, there's a lot to be concerned about then. Because yeah. I don't think Howell has really shown – the highs have been there, but enough highs where I think they can commit to him and compete in that tough-ass division for a long time. I don't know if that's there yet. So once I get more clarity on what they think of Howell, I think that will probably affect my perception. But in terms of being a contender or pretender, I think there's just way too much going on right now for them to contend right now. Just too much too fast. All right, final two. We'll do them at the same time because, quite frankly, they're about the exact same team. That is the Ravens – or not the Ravens. That is the Vikings and the Chargers. Chargers and the Vikings. Offense has looked pretty darn good. Defense, well, they've not. They both have some really good wide receivers. Keenan Allen is putting up vintage Keenan Allen numbers right now. Obviously, no Mike Williams. That is a huge loss for the Chargers, but they've been fine offensively. It's been the defense has let them down. Uh, Vikings, same thing. Last year, they won every single close game. This year, well, reverted back to the mean. What do you make of these two teams? I refuse to believe that offenses playing this well are going to miss the playoffs and Sam Howell and Desmond Ritter might make it. I just don't want to accept that that could happen. Like Herbert obviously gets more of the – he gets more leeway because Herbert, I genuinely feel bad for him, and I almost don't want them to fire Brandon Staley because I don't want them to lose Kellen Moore because Kellen Moore and him have been terrific this year so far. Even though he's playing with a giant splint on his hand, he's throwing the ball. I think it was like 40 of 46 in one game I mean, against the Vikings. He's been terrific. Now, Brandon Staley is way in over his skis because he was a def- he was a defensive coordinator at a D3 school, I think, six years ago. And now he has to coach Justin Herbert. He did too, way too much on, on him early on. Minnesota is they're, – they're the Chargers uh, East, I guess, or the Chargers Midwest, I think, is the way to put it. I mean, not only are they losing in embarrassing ways, but it's always hilarious. Picks at the goal line, fumbles at inopportune times, and – Part of me wants to say, all right, they're regressing to the mean, but like I don't even think the mean is this bad. I think the mean is somewhere in the middle. So 
they'll be better. They'll be better. But I think they're just 500 right now. I mean, Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson are playing pretty well, but you can only do so much, especially when the defense is just not re- – Brian Flores is just doing the Wink Martindale, we're going to blitz every play strategy, and it is not working so far. Yeah, shout-out to Khalil Mack, though, by the way, if the Chargers are getting six sacks. Six sacks. Putting the defense on his back, they have struggled, and Khalil Mack said, all right, I am still Khalil freaking Mack. And then uh, Josh McDaniels blames his rookie quarterback in his first start. He's got to take care of the ball better. Well, come on, man. That's <laughs> lame. That's lame. I'm sorry. <laughs> all right, let's, let's get into the 2021 draft quarterbacks. Who's going to be benched first, Mac Jones or Justin Fields? Ooh, that's a t- I mean, I feel like Mac has already we've seen Mac be benched before for the Zap man, Bailey Zappy. And uh, I mean, I love Tyson Bajan, but I mean, I think the Bears would have to really things would have to really go south for them to put him in at this point. Uh, Fields and like Fields, I guarantee you I can make a bet on this show. I've made it privately, too. Now I'm doing it publicly. He'll be a starter in 2024. I, I the arm is too good, the athleticism's too good, and everything around him is just too much of a tire fire. And finally, in this last game, when things for the first time didn't look like a tire fire offensively, where the line actually held up well and they actually got the ball out of his hands quick. I mean, at one point he had one incompletion that was on a Hail Mary and like four touchdowns. That was the best game of his career. Until the game got close and what happened? Well, even then, like the the fumble, all right. There was a free rusher right in his face as soon as he turned around. I mean, that's just that's just bad luck. Guy came right at him, and the pick was what it was. A <laughs> tough situation. He's trying. Why did Eberflus go for it there? Give, give me one. Even the analytics said kick the field goal. That was tough. But and that's why I think it'll probably be Mac because Fields has, I think, just generally a longer leash, and I just think the ceiling is higher. Mac, the whole appeal of Mac in a ceiling where even though a lot of the quarterbacks haven't worked out, Wilson, Fields, Lance, their whole appeal was they can make spectacular things happen, especially out of structure. Mac's whole thing was I'm dropping back, I'm taking three, four steps, and I'm letting it rip, and it's going to be accurate. That was his whole appeal. Trevor Lawrence obviously is in kind of a separate category as a a prospect. He's not even doing that now. It seemed like he's second-guessing himself. The, The interception, the pick six, I mean, he's dancing around, he's throwing across his body, which is essentially like a 25-yard throw to the sideline from where he threw it. I mean, that was the worst decision I've ever seen him make. And he also can't use the, my offensive coordinator's Matt Patricia excuse this year. For all of Bill O'Brien's faults, he's a real coordinator who like has a scheme and plays that work. And the receivers, bad, I'll give it to you. But Juju, like we've seen him be, we've seen him win championships, in fact, Juju. And Devontae Parker, I know, is playing poorly, but he's not that bad. I refuse to believe he's that bad. Mac, I think, has at least an offense that isn't very good, but like you could do stuff with it. And he's floundering as much, in my opinion, as Fields is, because Fields is just getting thrown to the Wolves. Yeah. Uh, again, with the Bears collapse against the Broncos, that was just a very Bears thing happened. But if you want some sort of consolation, Bears fans, Means you're still in the lead for getting some good draft picks, right? This is how you tank. They're Bust always the in the compensation out. for good draft picks. And where's that got them? Hey, keep it close and find a way to lose late. The recipe 
for the tanking. Uh, also, whatever's going on with Chase Claypool is not great. Not great when he was a second round draft pick just a year ago, and he has now been healthy scratches. And looks like he's not going to play this week, uh, not with the team right now. So not looking good for Chase Claypool and the Chicago Bears. Uh, all right, let's get to the Kansas City versus the Jets. I know you're a Jets guy, uh, Mike, and uh, they played a good game. Valiant effort coming back, had an incredible second quarter, and quite frankly, a third quarter. Uh, Zach Wilson at one point looked like the second overall pick. Is there something here? Did Zach Wilson figure something out? Well, I think the bigger reason for his success in this game was there's been a lot of debate about, well, uh, Zach Wilson just needs to stop thinking so much and just let it Mm -hmm. rip. That's always been his big thing. Nathaniel Hackett, I think, stopped thinking a lot because things he thinks about are how do we get Randall Cobb involved and let's get Dalvin Cook, who's clearly washed touches. He stopped doing that in this game. and He said, you know what? We're going to simplify things, but you know what? When in doubt, look for Garrett Wilson. If Al Lazard's open deep, chuck it. Who cares? F it. That was the whole ethos of this game, and it kind of worked. And Wilson, for his, I, I'm again, he made some mistakes. The fumble on the drop snap, it happened, and he went down 17 nothing early. Those points count all the same, but against a defense that allowed three touchdowns in three games prior to that, I mean, that rip throw to Conklin up the seam. I know the Lazard play was an underthrow, but, you know, the Lazard touchdown, really tight window, and then he runs it in. I mean, this is BYU Wilson. And, I mean, fundamentally, I don't think this changes anything. I mean, a lot of guys can have individually great games. I think, wasn't Marcus Mariota like 13 of 14 with four touchdowns in his first game? Like, something. sometimes things like that happen. They just, you know, nobody was expecting this, and Wilson comes out and hits them. But that, if Wilson word, keeps man. playing like this, which is entirely possible because now the schedule gets easier. They got Philly up soon, but then it's Denver, the Giants, Chargers have a bad defense, Washington, Atlanta. Like now they can actually start putting some things together. And do are they going to make the playoffs with Zach Wilson? I don't think so. But as opposed to looking like they were going to go one and 16, which it looked like they were going to beforehand, I don't think there's a problem with them. They could probably win, I don't know, six, seven, eight games. If they if Wilson plays like this and that defense plays like they did against Kansas City, no reason they can't win six, seven, eight games. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, they, they give 23 points to one of the best offenses in the entire NFL. Again, you're not going to give 23 points to many teams if you are the Jets defense. Zach Wilson, you put up 20 again against a good Chiefs defense. Man, I, that's a recipe for winning a lot of games, 20 to 13, 20 to 17. Might not be pretty, but that's enough to get it done most weeks. Again, I don't know if Zach Wilson is going to do what he did in that second and third quarter the entire rest of the season, but he did look really good in postgame. That was the most poised, most responsibility we've ever seen him take. Again, I'm not saying Zach Wilson's that guy, but there was a reason why I liked him better than Mac Jones, the upside, right? Mac Jones, at best, you're hoping he turns to Jimmy G, at best. Zach Wilson, you saw the potential. You saw the upside. Again, I like Zach Wilson better than Justin Fields. Maybe I was wrong. I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again. But again, you saw that first drive in the third quarter when he was, what, 7 of 7 for 75 yards. That was incredible. You saw that and you say, Justin Fields isn't making those plays. Mac Jones isn't making those throws. Hell, does Trevor Lawrence make all of those throws? Yeah, Trevor Lawrence does. (laughs) I mean, that touchdown pass was put on the money. There was nothing the Chiefs' defense could do. That was great, great coverage. It was a better throw. I compared him on the Jeff Press podcast to what they were doing, essentially. And this is what the Panthers were doing with Bryce Young. 
It's like in basketball when they have like a seven foot one center and they got him at the three point line just as like shooting threes. It's like, well, what good is being seven one if you're doing that? You might as well be six two. What good's all this arm town if all he's doing is bubble screens and checkdowns? Like, and Robert Sala for a long time, defensive coaches always say, you know, don't make mistakes and let our defense win the game. I think Robert Sala thought, you know what? Even if you make mistakes, our defense can have them make another mistake. And I yeah. kind of like that philosophical change. I don't know if they'll keep it up, but for one day it was nice, especially because the world was coming down on them. But poor Rod, what the hell was Rodney Harrison doing in the in the post game? I mean, that was extremely unprofessional. Like, come on, man, that was especially that was after his best game he's had in his entire NFL career. You're going to do that? That was to me, Charmin ultra soft. Uh, all right, let's get into the early favorites for MVP. I got Tua took a below a man. Tua has been great. Dolphins are three and one, completing seventy one point three percent of his passes, thrown for over thirteen hundred yards, uh, nine touchdowns, three interceptions. Uh, his average yard per attempt is nine point six. 9.6. Uh, Tua Tagovailoa has been outstanding. I don't think he's the most talented quarterback by any means in the NFL, but what he is doing has been incredible. Uh, Tua right now is my MVP front runner. I mean, and I think Tua would have a better chance than the guy I'm going to say because of just the numbers. But in terms of who's playing the best at quarterback, because this is a quarterback award, MVP is a quarterback award. In terms of who's playing the best right now, I mean, it's hard to look at Lamar Jackson and say that he's not. I mean. For a guy, I know he's got better receivers than last year, but Odell Beckham at this stage of his career and a rookie Zay Flowers are nowhere close to Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle in terms of a wide receiver duel. Mark Andrews is back, but he's been banged up. But it's such a hard argument to make. I, I just because full transparency as a Chiefs fan, I hate that argument when it was used against Mahomes when he had Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. So I will never use the argument of a guy has great weapons. What's he supposed to do? Not use him? What do you want Tua to do? Only throw to, I guess, Mike Gusecki's not like, yeah, I'm like, like <laughs> wait, yeah, Braxton Berrios. That's his only guy now. Like, like I, I that, that to me is, is a very, it's an argument I dislike. I understand where you're coming from, Mike. But again, it's, it, it's sorry that the GM did a great job surrounding Tua with weapons. No, yeah, Tua, Tua's been great. But uh, I just, to me personally, now, throwing for 250 yards and two touchdowns to Zay Flowers is not as impressive in a vacuum as throwing it to Tyreek Hill. And, but even if you take that away, who he's throwing to away, you've got a guy who's overcome. I mean, for, I remember looking at their injury report. It was like half the team. It was like half the offensive line, half the starting defense, and he's still overcoming that. He's still running the ball and being effective in Lamar Jackson, like that sort of way. I know that the Colts game, he had a little bit of a stinker in the second half, but – Tua had a stinger against Buffalo. He can't be perfect every single game. And I think if Baltimore, because Baltimore's also got an easier schedule coming up because they get the Bengals again, and the Bengals, I don't know what's going on with the Bengals, man. I mean, Joe Burrow's calf, all right, fine. 4.8 yards per attempt, that's his calf. He, he averaged like nine at certain points last year. 4.8, that's all the calf. So he's got the Bengals. He's got a couple dates with the high-flying electric Matt Canada, Kenny Pickett offense uh, in Pittsburgh. <laughs> And then you look at Cleveland, who we already beat. I know Deshaun Watson wasn't playing, but even when Deshaun Watson was playing, I was not very impressed with them offensively. And then he played the best defense in the league to that point, lit him up. So I think once the schedule goes on a little bit more, especially with Tua in that outdoor weather in the cold where he's kind of struggled a little bit in his career, 
I don't know, smaller guy, Hawaii guy in Miami, sometimes going into Buffalo late or New York late. He hasn't been Tua, like the guy that we've seen with Mike McDaniel. I think Lamar has been very good in those situations because of how he can run the ball. I'm excited to see what Lamar does for the rest of the year. So I'm hedging my bet a little early with, with Lamar. All right, top five teams in the NFL right now. Who do you have? You don't have to go in order if you don't want to, but just give me your top five teams in the NFL currently. Well, I think right now you still got to put Kansas City up there and you still got to put Baltimore there along with Buffalo, Miami. So that's four in the AFC. And then San Francisco, I think, is just running away with the NFC and maybe the lead. I mean, where are they even average? Where's the weak spot? What do you exploit? There's none of that. Brock Pur- maybe make Brock Purdy be with his arm. Well, now he is. He was like 21 and <laughs> 22 in that game. I mean, I, I was not big on the Brock Purdy train. You know, seemed like another Shanahan Garoppolo guy. I'm like, what can you say at this point? I mean, he's just lighting people up at this point. So I San Francisco to me, I, I'm always going to be a Kyle Shanahan worshiper and a John Lynch guy. But I mean, this year too, they just, every single spot, they got guys. And they're young. This is a young team. They're not going away for a while, especially if Brock Purdy keeps this up. It's unreal. He's on a rookie contract. That's why you can afford to pay all the rest of these incredible players. Too. Like, you're right. There's no weak spots. It was Brock Purdy. But he's not been the weak spot. He's been really good. He hasn't uh, lost a game yet. I mean, he got hurt in the Eagles. I guess that counts as a loss. But, I mean, where he's played, he hasn't, like, lost a game. We say running backs don't matter. Christian McCaffrey matters. Like he is doing everything and then some. It's just again, this, this team, this 49ers team, has just been uh, been phenomenal, man. They, they they have done everything and more. Uh, I got the Niners, Chiefs, um, Bills. I, I don't like taking Dolphins. Because I don't like just throwing out one game and say, like, you know, one game all of a sudden, because the, the game before the, against the Broncos, Dolphins are the best team in the NFL. They lose one game to the Bills, and now they're, now they're horrible. I hate that argument, okay? I want to take all four games in totality into this, okay? We're not just going one game sample size. It's four games. Every team has bad games. Um, so I'm going to have the Dolphins, the Bills, the Chiefs, the Niners. That leaves either the Ravens, but I'm going to go with the Eagles, man. I can't put the Ravens above the Eagles just yet. You know, I think the Ravens are on the cusp of making the top five. They'll probably be sixth right now if I'm doing my list. But the Eagles are 4-0. I get it. They've not won uh, convincingly a ton. Jalen Hurts hasn't been the same Jalen Hurts as last year. doesn't matter. They're 4-0. They've done what, they have sup- what they're supposed to do, win ball games. So that's my top five. They are winning ugly. It reminds me in a because something looks off with them. I know they lost both coordinators, but remember that one year it was like I think it was Ben Roethlisberger's second to last year where the Steelers were like eleven and zero, and everybody's like, "Oh, this team still stinks," even though they're eleven and zero. And then they lost like the last five games of the year. I think that was the year the Browns beat them in the playoffs in the COVID year. Like, there's just something about the Eagles. I know they got that great line. I know the front seven's very good, but. I'm looking at these games, barely beat New England. Minnesota almost came back, barely beat them. Had to go to overtime against Sam Howell and Washington at home. Like they're they're 4-0, and you can't you can't snipe too much at 4-0, but 
just something about them. I mean, they're a couple plays away from being, I don't know, two and two at this point. And then, yeah, but they're not. Come on now. It doesn't matter how you win in the NFL. You stack wins into the playoffs. You stack wins, in my opinion, I always say until Thanksgiving, right? You stack wins till Thanksgiving, then you really know what your team has. You really know what the, the, the guys you got, the scheme you got, what you can and can't do. After Thanksgiving, I think you can start, start taking a little more into wins and losses, but don't apologize for a win. Okay. Don't apologize for a win. Uh, all right, let's go some some quick hitters right here, breaking down the biggest games of the upcoming week. Quickly, Cowboys at Niners. Niners, three-and-a-half-point favorites over under 45. Cowboys have looked good. They've also looked horrendous. Niners have been just cruising right along. What do you make of this one? Well, the Cowboys are playing a non-Northeast team because they beat up on the Jets, Giants, and Patriots, and then they went to go play the Cardinals and got the, their – absolutely beaten to the dirt by Jonathan Gannon. Who, that's a real team, the Cardinals. They're not good, but they play hard, man. I got to give them credit. The Niners, like, I, this has all the makings, too, of a really toxic Monday morning and all those debate shows I don't like so much because <laughs> Dallas, I think, is a very, very good team. I still think they're the number three team in the NFC. There's just something about this game. I don't know what it is where I just feel like the Niners are really going to go off and Christian McCaffrey's going to have 110 yards. Because that was how the Cardinals beat him, was running the ball. Only 110? I mean, <laughs> I mean, then you get 80 receiving. Who knows? So, and two touchdowns. Like, I, Just something about this game feels like it's going to be San Francisco really gets in into Dallas. And then we start wondering, oh, are the Cowboys really good? Or is Dak good? Another one of the – we still have is Dak good debates in 2023 at 3-2. and two. So, maybe this is just my Niners love overshadowing things, but – I mean, where's the weakness? What are the Cowboys going to exploit? And then again, no Trayvon Diggs. That's a, you can't understate how huge that is, especially against this juggernaut death machine of an offense. I'm with you, man. I got the Niners in this one. Uh, I will say Ravens at Steelers. Let's go to this one now. Ravens at Steelers. Steelers plus four. Kenny Pickett, uh, again, as I mentioned earlier on, avoided major injury. But we will still see what his uh, progression is before this game. Ravens at Steelers. Steelers plus four. What do you think here? Because right now I'm, I'm thinking Ravens are going to just – Cruise control this. Ravens could go in, put up 23 points, and that's going to be enough to cover. Um, I don't know your thoughts here, but you've been all in on Baltimore and Lamar. You better be on the same page with me here. I'm also all out on Matt Canada and Kenny Pickett in Pittsburgh. I mean, I'm a Jersey guy. Never trust a guy from down by the Jersey Shore, but a job of this magnitude in Kenny Pickett. But uh, Are you saying the Cavs are here for, my, uh, for Canada's job? Well, I, here's my favorite thing about Matt Canada. In the last 39 games, this is a great stat, uh, other teams in the league have gained over 400 yards in a game 295 times. So that's an average of nine and a half per team where you get over 400 yards. In that span, Matt Canada, Ugats, none. Not one in 39 games. Now, I know Kenny Pickett is not very good. His pocket presence is horrendous. I mean, just running into sacks. And then the arm is limited. I get he's not working with Patrick Mahomes here. But go look at this guy's career. Everywhere he's gone, he's been bad, and he's failed upward. He got fired. I think it was at like Indiana. Then he goes to, as a coordinator. Then he goes to NC State and LSU. And then he's a head coach at Maryland, and now he's in the NFL. It's like, how does this keep happening? He's not good. He hasn't been good anywhere. <laughs> Brian Schottenheimer used to be the guy I would get the most mad at, who would keep getting jobs because everywhere he'd go, he'd suck. 
He actually cost Georgia Trevor Lawrence. He was going to go there. And then Brian Schottenheimer said, I don't think you're that good. And he left and went to Clemson. So Brian Schottenheimer has been that bad everywhere. Then I look at Matt Canada. How is he employed? And now he's got an even tough task. Ravens, incredibly tough defense. Kenny Pickett is number one struggling, number two coming off a potentially serious knee injury. So he's going to be playing at less than 100%. Tough situation. I know Mike Tomlin's loyal to his guys. He kept Randy Fechner for however long, but I don't see how this can continue and Matt Canada keep his job. I mean, maybe this will be the day of reckoning. I mean, he only scored six against the Texans. I mean, something's got to give here, right? Ah, something has to give. Uh, Let's get into the best bets of the week. All right, here, let's get into the, the, the betting record as... I am now sitting here at four and eight. Better fade me, but I will say I'm three and one in upset picks, baby. Three and one in upset picks. I can only pick the underdog. Uh, I went one and two last week, and Ian sitting at nine and three after a two and one performance last week in week four. No Ian this week. So I'm not going to give mine. I'm sitting here at four and eight. I don't think I deserve to give my bets this week. So Mike, the floor is yours. Let's start with your uh, best spread bet of the week. What do you have? I'm taking the saints outright plus one and a half against the new England Patriots. Now I normally would take the Patriots in a game like this. Cause they're at home fresh off being embarrassed and Bill Belichick, when he gets embarrassed, usually the next week, he put, it's like a hell in a cell match and he just beats the hell out of whoever the opposing quarterback is, especially an injured Derek Carr. But the problem is, I mean, this game, even though I have the, the saints winning with the plus one and a half, this game might be 13 to six. This game might be 17 to 10 because that saints defense is still playing phenomenal football right now. And they would go against a, a bad offensive line. Marshawn Lattimore is going to take whoever the number one receiver is out of the game. And Mac Jones, I think, is going to struggle against this Saints defense. So, I, and again, I, I, I'm a Derek Carr supporter. I, he's got to break out at some point. Eventually, there's going to be a game where he throws for 300 yards. Is it this one? I don't know. It could be, especially because there's no Matthew Judon and no Christian Gonzalez, which are humongous losses for New England. Uh, just so you know, that is probably what I was going to go with. So I'm I'm sitting here at four and eight, Mike. Not looking good for you. Don't put uh, this on me. This is- <laughs> <laughs> All right, what do you have for the favorite total bet of the week? Favorite total bet. I'm thinking if you hammer the over for Eagles Rams fifty and a half. This has all the makings of a shootout. The touchdown passes are not high for Matthew Stafford, but he is absolutely lighting it up throwing the ball. Now, I know even without Cooper Cup, this is Puka Nakua, who's really come out as a rookie, and Tutu Atwell, and Van Jefferson had some big plays in the Colts game. And as much as I like the Eagles' front four, I've been saying in the past, I don't think their secondary is very good this year. Like, I think Darius Slay is good, but Pat Sertan's very good, and the Broncos get lit up every week, so one guy can't make a secondary. I mean, Minnesota threw the ball on them. New England had their best game throwing the ball against the Eagles. There's some potential for Matthew Stafford to really light it up. And then you get the Eagles going up against the Rams defense. I don't think is scaring really anybody. I think that A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith are going to have a couple go balls that they're going to end up winning. Nice big 50-yard touchdown. The, the offensive line is good enough to, I think, limit Aaron Donald. because I think the Eagles have the best offensive line in the league. I think this is all the makings of a shootout. In L.A., too, indoors, no adverse weather. This could be 
get bet the bet the house on the on over 50 and a half and pay for your kids college uh all right let's get into the upset of the week i'll do my upset of the week because that's the one thing apparently i've been good at since i am three and one everything else i am just absolute two scoops of ass but i have to be good at something <laughs> apparently i can get an upset upset this week for me i'm going texans over falcons texans is I think that even an upset good. after that game I, I according to the the line it is the uh texans are two point underdogs uh on the road in atlanta the texans i think moved to three and two who would have thought the Texans will move to 500, at least according to me and my predictions? Falcons, man, I just can't get behind. I know Ian's going to be pissed uh, that I picked the Falcons to lose at home to Houston, but that's the way I see it. That's my upset this week. Who do you have? I got a bone to pick with Ian because he hated the B. John Robinson pick in the live draft show. I bet he's changing his tune now on B. It's a horrible pick. It's a horrible pick. You picked a running back when you, you had a thousand yard rookie running back last year and you decided to pick another running back. Cause yeah, that's been the problem for Atlanta running back. I mean, Algier looks like he's running with 20 pounds of sand in his pants and Bijan looks like he's the one guy in the offense making plays, but oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. It's a nice two and two record, huh? Well, I mean, Ritter, they weren't taking a quarterback. I'll put that on Ritter, but uh, there are three quarterbacks in the league that don't have any interceptions this year that are qualified. CJ Stroud, who we all love, Brock Purdy, dominating, Josh Dobbs of the Arizona Cardinals, which is why I think the Cardinals are going to go to two and three and beat the Bengals. Because, I mean, Jonathan Gannon, people made fun of him because he had like a bunch of weird press conference stuff. They did that with Nick Sirianni, too. It worked out pretty well for the Eagles. Those guys are playing hard. That team is not good. They're in pretty much every game. They even gave the Niners a legitimate shot. They were in that game until very late. They beat the Cowboys. They have a miraculous, crazy comeback loss to the Giants that is almost like unprecedented. That'll never. If they played that game ten times this year, Arizona beats them eight out of ten times. And then the Commanders—they were in it till the end. This team fights. Josh Dobbs is one of the best stories in the league. He's legitimately playing good football. And I mentioned this earlier too. There's something up with the Bengals, and it is not Joe Burrow's calf because Joe Burrow's calf could be used to explain. Instead of throwing for 30 touchdowns, he throws for 22 touchdowns. Or if he, instead of 4,500 yards, he throws for 3,900. He's averaging 4.8 yards per attempt. That's, I think, the worst in NFL history through four games. His decision-making's been bad. A couple of the picks in the Ravens game were awful. Jamar Chase is getting frustrated now. They can't really run the ball. The offensive line's a mess. Like The, the Bengals very quickly are moving into tire fire territory. And if they lose to Arizona... I know Mike Brown is famously a very patient owner. They're not going to fire Zach Taylor, but some heads are going to roll because this team came into the year. I think a lot of people, I think even you were saying they were the number two team in the AFC behind the Chiefs. And I mean, are they the number, what are they now, the number 12 team in the AFC, the way they're playing? I mean, Zach Wilson would give these guys a run for their money at, at, at this rate. All right, let's get into the survivor survivor pool all right ian's out he already lost he lost after picking the cowboys in week three as the cardinals were able to uh overcome that massive spread and just dismantle the cowboys uh i hit last week with the 49ers didn't want to use the 49ers but sometimes you got to take the easy one now i'm using the lions this week the lions I'm using the Detroit Lions over the Panthers. Don't know how many times I use the Lions this year. Figured this is a good time to use them at home against Carolina. Um, let's see if I can keep this thing rolling. Going with Carolina or going with the Lions here. Who do you have? 
I will give the same recommendation that I gave to my dad in his office survivor pool, who has been asking for answers this week, which is the Miami Dolphins against the New York Giants, because he has also not used the Dolphins yet, so that's free. They're 11-point favorites, and I know the defense just gave up 48 points. I don't think they're that bad where that'll happen again, especially against a team that can't like complete passes or sustain drives or not get down to the five-yard line and then throw a pick six to Devin Witherspoon. I mean, the Giants are just completely leaking coolant right now, and I think two is really going to have a plan to beat that that uh, Wink Martindale blitz because two is amazing because he has like the lowest time to throw in the league and the highest yards per attempt, which doesn't even compute. But I think that combination could be really bad for the Giants defense. They might score 50 on them again. They keep playing like that. Uh, I will say I used the Dolphins in week three. Didn't want to do it, but sometimes it's better to pick the sure thing and keep it rolling than try to get too cute. Uh, Mike, this was a lot of fun. I do want to say Ian McMillan had an interview. He sat down and talked with Ryan Fitzpatrick. That will play on the audio side following this uh, wrap up right here on the podcast and the video version will be live on YouTube tomorrow. So if you're watching right now, check out the video version on YouTube of Ian's conversation with Ryan Fitzpatrick, Mike Luciano, make sure you follow him on Twitter at by Mike Luciano, B Y M I K E L U C I A N O. Ian is back next week. Until then we are out. Hello, everyone. Ian McMillan here from Fanside today. Joining me, former NFL quarterback and current analyst for Amazon's Thursday Night Football broadcast, Ryan Fitzpatrick, who is joining me today on behalf of Little Caesars. Of course, Ryan, I want to talk to you about your partnership with Little Caesars, but I do have some questions for you to start things off. And I'm actually going to start with some Ryan Fitzpatrick trivia. I got two oh. questions for you. Number one, obviously, everyone knows that you played for nine different teams across the NFL. Do you know the two teams you actually never played in a game against? Uh, the Green Bay Packers. Yes. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Correct. Yeah. Played for the Buccaneers, obviously, but did never played in a game against them. I thought that was fascinating. I would have thought for sure that you would have played against all 32 teams, but yeah, those are the two teams that you did not play against. You know, the two teams you played against the most. Uh, I would say the new England Patriots. Yes. And the Miami Dolphins. Close, another AFC East team, the New York yeah. Jets. Jets. I mean, it had to be in the AFC East. I spent yeah. uh, a lot of my career there, um, but the Patriots are definitely number one on that list, I would say. I love it. All right, uh, Ryan, I'm a Falcons fan myself. You might be able to tell by the helmet in my background. Uh, so talking to a quarterback now, my first big question for you is, Desmond Ritter the guy? Is he the guy that's going to lead, uh, lead uh, my team forward for me, or do we have to look a different direction? <laughs> Well, uh, I know the coaches well. I know uh, Desmond and Taylor Heineke well. I mean, I met Des this offseason, spent a day with him, um, and know Taylor very well from being in Washington. But, you know, I, I think Arthur Smith has this team going in the right direction. Um, I really, you know, they're a, a tough, uh, tough team to play against. And so, you know, before, I think when we look at the last few seasons, you're looking at the Atlanta Falcons and you're saying, okay, there's a win, there's a win. And you kind of check them off. Uh, they're going to give you everything they can get. They had a couple of tough wins last season. And then this year they're going to be in every game because their defense has improved that much more. And they're great at running the football. Bijan's been awesome to watch. 
Desmond's got to play better. He, he, he does. And when you have young quarterbacks, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be some struggles, but you just want to see him keep getting better and better. You want to see, uh, you know, some of the mistakes that are being made. Uh, maybe the next week we're not seeing as many, but he's got to play better. He's working at it. They're working at it with him. Um, but this is this is a good football team this year. So the patience and how long they're going to wait for him to play better, I will see. He had a much better second half than he did first half. I think we all saw that, and you see the reasons why they like him. But now we've got to get more consistent uh, in a game-to-game basis with him. Is there a quarterback in the league that you think is underrated, a guy who not enough people are talking about, a guy who has all the intangibles and just doesn't get talked about enough in the media for being as good as he is? Uh, So I've got two names. Uh, One, this isn't going to be a sexy take here, but Joshua Dobbs and what he's done this year Mm. in Arizona, um, you know, for a guy to be pulled out of uh, wherever he was, Cleveland, Tennessee, wherever he was, and to be brought to Arizona this year for a team nobody thought was going to do anything, how well he's playing right now, uh, it's it's been awesome. He's playing winning football, and they haven't necessarily won in every game, but I think they've surprised a lot of teams. So he's a guy that I am very proud of, if, if you know that's the right word, because of his career, the places he's been, he hasn't had many opportunities, but taking that start he had last year at the end of the year in Tennessee and now building upon it in a new place when nobody thought he'd do anything. He's playing great football. Uh, And then Brock Purdy. There still aren't enough people talking about Brock Purdy. Uh, Everybody keeps saying, well, he's a system guy. It's Shanahan. It's the weapons. It's got a great defense, but watch this kid play football. He's a machine. It's, it's absolutely insane. He's a machine. He makes the decisions. Um, that he needs to be making all the time. He's quick. He puts the ball in the right place. He's a perfect fit for that offense. But right now, this kid is a top five quarterback in the NFL, and I think we need to start talking about him a little bit more. Whether he's a system guy or not, Brock Purdy is playing great football. I have noticed that. There's a narrative that everyone in sports media just kind of repeats that, yeah, it's Brock Purdy. He's not really that good. It's just the 49ers offense. Like, where do you think that comes from? And and, and it, it, it almost feels like there's nothing he can do to prove to people that he's actually a really good quarterback because everyone's just going to say, yeah, it's the coaching, it's the system, he's fine, whatever, let's move on. Why do you think that is the narrative right now? Yeah, I mean, I think Shanahan's had a lot of success, you know, with his quarterback, whoever it's been. But we got to remember, other than him getting hurt in that game against the Eagles, Brock still hasn't lost a football game as a starter. Right. You know, and and I just go back to, Brock was fighting to be the third string quarterback last season, trying to make the roster. And so he's not getting any reps. So all of this that he did last year and then into this year, he has done it without a ton of reps. You know, he was rehabbing from the elbow injury and people don't understand how impressive he actually has been, you know, and the narrative of, well, let's put Brock Purdy on, you know, the Houston Texans and see what happens. Well, guess what? He's on the 49ers. And he's the perfect fit for Kyle Shanahan. And Kyle Shanahan loves this kid as his quarterback. So you've got a football team, a very good one that believes in him. And you've got a kid that believes in himself and this system and his his teammates. So let's just give him his flowers here and make sure that everybody loves and respects Brock Purdy for the way that he's playing and not that he's just a system quarterback. Would you say you have a little bit of a soft spot for Brock Purdy or maybe even you feel a bit of a connection to him being a fellow seventh round pick? 
Well, it, being a fellow seventh round pick and we're from the same hometown. So you can call right. me a homer. That we're would both be from Gilbert, Arizona, <laughs> but watch him play. I mean, I, yeah. I keep trying to watch him play and find, you know, things. Okay. Well, this is what he does well, but this is what he struggles with. And right now there's not a whole lot that he struggles with. He's athletic. He makes the right decisions of when to get out of the pocket or run. And uh, he's playing great football. I want to ask you about uh, another player selected in this uh, latest draft, not in the seventh round, but I believe it was the fifth round, a guy who was just taking the NFL by storm, Puka Nakua. How does a guy of, of this level of talent kind of slip through the cracks all the way to the fifth round? I know he had some some injury issues uh, during co- his college days at BYU, but is that it? Because this guy immediately from day one has become one of the best receivers in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, again, sometimes with these players, it's being in the right system with the right coach. Uh, Puka Nakua, well, I'll use the Houston Texans again. If he goes to the Houston Texans, is he making enough noise as he is now? Maybe. I mean, but this system is tailor-made for a guy like him. Um, Sean McVay, they saw something in him right away where they knew uh, that he was going to be a good player for them. But look, if you're drafted in the fifth round, like if people thought you were going to be a superstar right away, you obviously, even with the ramps, he wouldn't have made it to the fifth round. Right. So I think he's obviously taken them by surprise a little bit as well, but that system, the things that he does fast, athletic, physical, smart player and Matthew Stafford. So as a quarterback, once you have a guy you, you know, is reliable, that's going to do the right thing. Matthew has a great relationship with him already. And you can feel that on the field chemistry. So uh, it, it's been amazing to watch. And I have Andrew Whitworth in my ear every week talking about how amazing Puka Nakua is. And, you know, he told me before the season started, keep your eye on this kid. And it, it's been really impressive. Uh, one of the things I do uh, every week, Ryan, uh, is I have a fraudulent power rankings. I power rank the top five teams who I think are the most fraudulent in the NFL. And how I define fraudulent is teams that have a very good record or a good record, a team a team that a lot of people say is very good, but I don't think they're actually as good as their public perception is. Who do you think is the most fraudulent team in the NFL through the first four weeks? I would love to hear or see your rankings. Um, <laughs> you know, that's uh, we go back to you are what your record is, right? But I, I think I've got some question marks for the Cowboys. Yes. You know, I, and, <laughs> that's and my number I, one team. So I knew go. I knew they would be on your list for <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, I think everybody has some some questions about them, especially after that Cardinals game. You know, but right. a team that a team that is one of those top tier teams, um, you need to be able to handle those games, the games that you should be winning, and that was one that was a real disappointment. And you think, okay, you know, the Cowboys are such an enigma because that laid out the blueprint for what's going to happen to them as we go forward. Okay. They're playing the Patriots and Bill Belichick. He's going to run the ball down their throats and, you know, they're going to, they're going to lose the Patriots as well. And then they come out and they just beat the brakes off the Patriots. So, you know, they're a team that is, is hard. It's a week to week proposition with them. They're obviously a really talented team, but we're going to find out uh, this coming week uh, in a huge game with the 49ers. Yes, absolutely. One more question for you before we talk about your partnership with Little Caesars. Um, Obviously, you played for nine teams. You have uh, played for a ton of different franchises. But I'm curious, who was the best fan base that you played for? Was there a fan base of any of the teams that you played for? Maybe even teams that you played against. And you were like, these guys are the best football fans out there. 
you know, the fan bases I played for, there were, there were lots. I think I'm always most partial to Buffalo. I was there for four years, played there the longest. That was probably the best relationship that I had with the fans. And I'm pumped. We get to go back for Thursday night uh, when they played the Bucks this year to Buffalo, which we didn't get a chance to do last year. So I'm excited. The ones that stick out to me though, as an opposing player, Seattle is always incredible. The Kansas City atmosphere is incredible. Uh, and Minnesota as well. Those are three mm. noise level, the fans, how into it, how knowledgeable they are. Those were always three that I enjoyed playing at. Uh, so Ryan, tell me about your partnership with Little Caesars. Well, it works out really nice because they needed a football player or a retired one to do some stuff. And I love pizza. So uh, big fan of the hot and ready with my kids. We love the, the crazy bread, but I uh, had a really fun time shooting the commercial. I got to hang out for a day with George Kittle and Cam Jordan. And the, the funniest thing I could say about that day was uh, they kept, you know, they bring out a hot, nice, fresh pizza for the take. We're doing it. We're supposed to be fake eating the pizza. They would say cut. And I look over and George and Cam, their pizzas are gone. Their slices are gone, <laughs> basically down to the crust. So the chef kept, kept getting so upset with us because then the chef would have to bring out a whole <laughs> new pizza. Nice, perfect spritz on top. And then George and Cam would continue to eat the pizza. But, um, you know, I think it's a it's a fun partnership. They're the official pizza sponsor of the NFL. They've got some perks. If you order anytime on Sunday, if you order in an hour before the game on Thursday or Monday, uh, there's plenty of things that you can win the biggest being Super Bowl 58 tickets. So they're very much involved on game day. And, you know, as a father of seven, I love, uh, love little Caesars pizza. Is that the little Caesars bi-week campaign? So the little Caesars bi-week campaign is basically, look, this is little Caesars saying, look, your team's going to have a bi-week this year, but you can still enjoy pizza. That doesn't mean you're not going to be sitting in front of the TV watching all these games. So make sure that during the bye week, you remember it's not just eating pizza while you're watching your own team, but we're eating pizza while we're watching football. Perfect. Thank you so much, Ryan. I appreciate you taking the time today. Uh, I do have one final, final, final question. I have to ask, uh, are you and Jared Goff good now? <laughs> I, you know what? I, I really, I, I love and respect Jared's game. Uh, hope, he took it apparently as a slight, but I, I see Matt Ryan, as one of the great quarterbacks, you know, as do I ever played with and against, he was an NFL MVP. So it was more in making that comparison and me saying, look, these guys are very similar when I watch them play, but I still have Matt Ryan on a level above Jared Goff. So uh, I hope we didn't take it as too big of a slight. You know, I got a nice hug and handshake afterwards. I, I think it was great that he gave me a hard time about it um, and deservedly so. He had a great game. He's been playing fantastic. Uh, but hopefully there's no beef there. I'll be waiting for the Christmas card at Christmas in the mail. for him, so. <laughs> All right. Perfect. Thank you so much, Ron. I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, take care and uh, best of luck with the uh, Thursday night football uh, broadcast moving forward. Mm -hmm.